it's so great. We're in 1 Corinthians, and last Sunday, Matt preached on incest in the church. And this morning, we're in chapter 6, and I get to preach on lawsuits in the church. So uh, <laughs> welcome to the river. Here we are. That's one of the values of just going through Scripture and what comes your way. We're going to talk about it. And uh, so I invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Have you ever been sued before? I have. A uh, little mishap on uh, the Strand in Hermosa Beach on my bike, and all of a sudden I'm at Torrance Court with a jury and attorneys on both sides, and here I am sitting at my table, and she's sitting at her table with lawyered up and everything, and the jury has to rule. It's a crazy situation, and I began to think about that lawsuit, that frivolous lawsuit. Uh, what if she was part of our church? Oh, that'd be really awkward. In fact, I was thinking on the beach, looking out there, thinking, you know what? She, she might be out there someplace. Lawsuits among Christians are really awkward and can be incredibly divisive. And the Apostle Paul is a pastor, and he's speaking to this little wonky church in Corinth, and he's helping them to become Jesus-shaped. He's helping them to grow up to integrate their faith into their relationships, building trust with God and building trust with each other. And these Corinthian Christians had held on to a lot of their former life, and they dragged that former life into the church. There were divisions, there was fighting, there was conflicts between the wealthy and the poor, there was pride, and Paul is little by little beginning to shape them the way the Holy Spirit is shaping us as well. Now, we've been watching this happen through the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians. And last week, Matt did just a brilliant job in chapter 5 in dealing with their love for freedom and the awkward sexual situations that were creeping into the church. And really, the focus is on our relationships. Do they have integrity? Is there transparency and vulnerability in our relationships with one another? That is such a high value. Will we speak truth to one another? Will we allow other people to speak truth for us? And now in chapter 6, Paul's dealing with a very um, specific, tangible situation that had confronted these Christians in Corinth. They were suing one another. You know, I think this kind of uh, disputing, it, it has its seedbed in middle school. Do you remember junior high? You remember what life was like when you were a junior high student and, and the drama that can happen in those friendships? And now today, of course, you know, a lot of that drama just works its way onto the internet and our social media and you know, Twitter wars or whatever, whatever is happening, we tend to play it out there for everybody to see. And I've titled this sermon, Intentionally Meditate, Don't Litigate. And that's a play on words because there's a book that's called Mediate, Don't Litigate. And to meditate is to think deeply, to really stop and ponder Christians, what are you doing? What's happening amongst you in your relationships? I, I think the questions we have to ask is, 
If there's a lawsuit in the church among Christians, what's the impact it has on this family? What, what, what does it do to us if some people are fighting in this context and their dispute has gone to court? And then the other question I think we need to really wrestle with is what, what do lawsuits among us say about the quality of our community? And I think that's getting back to what Matt was saying in chapter 5. This is, this is not so much about incest and about lawsuits as much as it is what's happening amongst us in our relationships with each other. And I, I will admit, these are complex and difficult situations. And some of you have probably been in very complicated and very hurtful and and confusing kind of confrontations with other people that are believers, supposedly your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so in no way do I make light of it at all, and in no way do I really feel competent other than the fact that I want to let Paul be our teacher this morning. We're about two things. I think the Holy Spirit is trying to get churches to do two things. One, follow Jesus as his disciple. Let's become more like Jesus. Let's let him shape us. And number two, we do it together. We always do it together. We go together. We're better together as we follow Jesus. But the reality in that is there's going to be disputes. So if you have a Bible, you know, on your phone, or you have a copy of the scriptures, or you want to just follow along, turn to chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. And Paul really starts by saying, how dare you? Really, I mean, hey, everyone, listen, how, how dare you get to this place? I, I'm astounded. He says, if any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Using the word dispute, a dispute with another brother or sister in Christ. And the alternative for that word with is actually against. You know, when you have a dispute against another brother, it changes the dynamic. You know how easy it is for us to sing along and to worship God and to feel goosebumps as Jasmine leads us, to pray together and to enjoy the community life and grounded groups and going to Baja Bound. And then all of a sudden... Someone offends us to the point where we're now going to take it to court. Business deal gone bad. And we tend to compartmentalize. Say, following Jesus is all well and good, but business is business, and real life is real life. And we just, we set all of this aside for this very difficult issue. So you're bringing this dispute into the courts before the ungodly for judgment. Now, Paul wasn't opposed to the court system. He used it himself as a Roman citizen frequently. But this is referring in Corinth to the, to the marketplace, and there's a judgment seat called the Bema, and the judge, and then the jury would sit there, and it was out in the open-air marketplace. And in fact, people would come along, and it became kind of city entertainment, Hey, let's go watch uh, the trial happen 
And uh, so, so they, they, uh, they, they're, they're cheering on their side. And it, it be, I mean, everybody knows your business. And Paul is saying, hey, Christian, you're airing your dirty laundry for the whole city to watch. But these courts were run by the wealthy. They were affordable by the wealthy. They favored the wealthy. And so oftentimes the wealthy would take a poor citizen to court knowing good and well they were going to win the case. And of course that same thing can easily happen today. And Paul says, is that, is that really the way we're going to do it in the church? Is there another way for us to handle these very difficult situations? We're a new community in Jesus. We're a family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Is there an alternative way that we could go about this? And Paul is shocked. He's dismayed. He's disheartened that the church is bickering and fighting with one another this way. Because the reality, if you're familiar with law, you know that when you take a court to case, when, when there's litigation, it's adversarial by nature. And I can remember that woman sitting at her table and I'm sitting at my table and the jury is overlooking us and she's got all these expert witnesses and the lawyers, their job is to win. Their job is to beat the other person. And in fact, us two individuals, we're like, we're like disputants. We're the enemies, you know. We, we, gotta, we, we gotta put our case and, and win. It's, it's the nature of the system to have an adversary at the other table. In fact, another place Paul says to the Galatian church, he says, listen, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. A lawsuit can destroy a Christian. A lawsuit can destroy a church family. But he's an optimist. Paul says you're not far from who you really are. Notice verse 2. Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent right now to judge trivial cases? Verse 3, do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Paul is reminding these Corinthians and us of our identity. Who are we? And he looks into the future, pulling on all of this Old Testament understanding that when God brings his kingdom to bear in this world, when Jesus returns, and we are called joint heirs with Jesus, and God will hand the keys to the kingdom over to Jesus, and we will reign and rule with Jesus in the ultimate kingdom. So there's this picture of those who follow God being given uh, um, roles of leadership and ruling and reigning with God. That's what it means that someday we'll judge the world, that we'll judge the angels. And God is saying through Paul here that if you have that destiny, if that is your identity, then can't you handle these trivial cases? It makes me think of the challenge that parents have with their kids, right? One of the parenting practices is to see in your child what no one else can see yet. 
And sometimes you doubt. It's to see that beautiful identity deep down inside of them. And that's why this letter for Abigail was so beautiful. It is declaring to her before she can even understand who she really is. And we say this morning, I am a child of God. That's who I am. That's who God says that we are. We need to constantly be reminded of our identity. And that's what parents do with their kids. And you look at that middle schooler, that high school student, and, 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 and you look him right in the eye and you say, someday, son, you're going to own your own home. Well, I, I guess in this economic climate, you might say, well, maybe not, but uh, you'll rent for life. But, but, but someday, you're going to own your own home. That's your destiny. So at least you could go clean your room right now. It's speaking into their lives what may not be true now. What you know is going to be true later. And that is what Paul is doing for the Corinthians. Know who you are. You're a new community. You are sons and daughters of the living God. You are joint heirs with Christ. And someday you will rule and reign. So begin to live into who you ultimately will be in the future. And trivial lawsuits ought not to be part of it between you and the family. He says in verse two of chapter one, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be as holy people. Corinth, these Christians were not very holy, believe me. And sometimes we think about ourselves and, you know, this, this, this beautiful little bride we call the River Church. You know, we, we struggle. You know, we feel, are, we, are we holy? You know, Paul says, yes, you are. That is who you are. And I loved when Matt brought us in chapter 4 to these verses here. In verse 6, don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? That's a lawsuit, too. Like a little yeast that gets in and infects the, it just infects the, the whole community. But he says, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch. And then get this, as you really are. Paul is an undying optimist with this scraggly little Corinthian church. You already are holy. You already are an an unleavened batch of dough. This is who you really are. So begin to lean into it. You can do this. Because Paul knows they're wise enough for the trivial stuff. Notice verse four. Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? Is it possible there's no one here wise enough to come in and to be a reconciler, to come in and to be an advocate, to come in and help work this out? 
But he says, verse 6, instead, one brother takes another brother to court, and this in front of unbelievers who don't understand what it means to be a spiritual family of those who have been reconciled and forgiven by God, thus we can have that experience between us. Earlier, um, Paul dealt with their pride because they, they claimed to be really wise people, you know, like it, there, there, was, there was a bit of uppityness with them as, you know, we, we, we have this wisdom that no one really understands and, and uh, we're, we're super smart. And Paul says, well, you think you're so smart, then, then isn't there someone smart enough to handle this? I think there is, he says. You, you, you have what it takes to figure these things out. And the reality is, the church has demonstrated over the years that it really is smart enough to do this. And uh, I'm not a lawyer, but I've read up, uh, you know, in, in law, there's, a, there's this idea of, of an alternative dispute resolution, ADR they call it. And in fact, it's used by courts all across the land where you can keep things from going to litigation in the court and you can handle it outside with uh, someone that will help resolve the dispute. And, and Christians have been a big part of that. And ADR actually finds much of its original thought in 1 Corinthians 6 and what Paul is telling this church. And there's an amazing organization. Um, it's called the Institute for Christian Conciliation. And, and then um, an umbrella organization called Peacemaker Ministries. And if you know of anyone that's moving toward the courts and they're Christians, point them to the Institute for Christian Conciliation because these are very bright, smart, dedicated lawyers, godly men and women who've been trained who understand there's all sorts of processes where it can take these disputing parties together and sit down using the Bible as a guide get at the real issues and solve it before it needs to go to the court. Peacemaker Ministries. And there's a lawyer that's been involved in this. His name is Robert Taylor. And, and he kind of came up with three filters or three tests that we could apply when we're in the beginning stages moving toward a lawsuit. And the first one, he calls it the Christological uh, filter. Let's just call it the Jesus filter. And in Matthew 5, what did Jesus say? If someone smacks you upside the head, then turn the other cheek to him. And isn't that what Jesus did? He embodied that. Are you willing to turn the other cheek? Are you, are you going to follow Jesus as his disciple to the point where in this situation, you're willing to turn the other cheek because that's what Jesus showed us. That's the Jesus filter. The second one is the relational filter. How is this going to impact your relationships? Because so often we say, they'll know we're Christians by our love. We ought to love one another. We're going to love one another. But when we get angry, greed, impatience, revenge, it all, it all settles in. And we begin to throw Jesus out. And then there's anger and there's hostility. And the relationships are completely broken. Maybe never to be repaired. 
So worry out relationally. What, what is your driving motive here? Is it revenge or is it love? Is it greed? And then the third filter is the missional filter. And Paul knows that lawsuits among believers in the public court undermines the gospel. Hey, wait a minute. I thought you Christians loved each other. I thought you Christians believe in the gospel where the gospel says that God has reconciled us to him and to each other, and now you can't work it out. The Jesus filter, the relational filter, and the missional filter. And if we, if we can begin to lean into those before we get to the point where we want to go to a court of law, it can help us a lot. But in verse 7, Paul's discouraged. He says, it's just complete defeat. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. In light of these three filters, Jesus, relational, and missional, Paul says, you've lost them all. You're already defeated. You may win the case in court, but as a Christian brother or sister, you're We've all lost. We're all losers in, in this situation. Because he knows that in a court of law with litigation, it's the facts and it's deciding dollar amounts and who's right and who's wrong, done. But in Christian conciliation, it's getting at the heart. What's going on beneath the surface because What God wants through the Holy Spirit is to begin to shape our hearts to be new people. Leave that old way, that adversarial way, behind. And in Christian conciliation, they dig beneath the surface looking at motives. And our attitudes are as powerful as our actions in the long term. Because Paul is ultimately concerned about the quality of the community. The quality of the community. Are we just mouthing words, or is, is this real? Is this real what's happening here? Is the cross of Christ, is it real? Do we take it seriously? That's what Paul is after. And so that's why he says, so why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated, he says. Those are hard words. Verse 8, instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. And you do this to your brothers and sisters. Paul really says, how dare you? I I just, I'm kind of lost, Paul says. It breaks my heart. And then he moves into this focus on the wrongdoers. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, he says. And this is really tricky. It's a very tricky part of the passage. And I I want you to hear me carefully here. In verse 7, he says, why not rather be wronged? And then he says in verse 8, you do wrong. And then in verse 9, wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's very important to follow the flow. 
And then he lists out the wrongdoing. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And our ears perk up. Whoa, yeah, there, there's a place where the Bible is talking about the sin of homosexuality. Yes, it does. But I want you to understand the context here. Talking about LGBTQ plus situations is really important. It's vital for us to talk about that. But not in this sermon. Not in this text right now. Because what Paul is talking about is Christians suing Christians. And so often in the climate in which we live today, our ears perk up when the text talks about homosexualities. And Paul might be saying to us today, hey, you know what? I'll talk about homosexuality, but don't get distracted. I want to bring you right back here to the core issue. I'll talk about homosexuality when you stop suing each other. Yes? In fact, those around us might say it's a bit hypocritical for the church to perseverate on homosexuality when there's so much greed in your relationships with one another. You know, that's what Paul says there. The greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we ought to talk about this. But for this moment, I don't want us to get distracted. I don't want us to deflect the main issue because Paul lists out all sorts of other things, including adultery and slander, swindling, April 15th, it's tax time, okay? Pay attention. But let me say that when Paul uses these terms, the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, He's talking about people that have dedicated themselves to a way of life. This this is the world in which they have chosen. This is something that they're persevering in. This is something where they they decide that, that they will not have a repentant heart. And when he's talking about Christians suing Christian, He's talking about this attitude of the heart, this persistence. I am not going to give in. I have my rights. They wronged me. I'm taking them to court for all they're worth, plus a little bit more. And Paul says, oh, breaks my heart. Just wait. These sins that are described here are self-indulgent, self-sinning, selfish, kind of motivations, which is oftentimes underneath our disputes and our decision not to give in. You know, by the way, we had all our little kids in here. I I just, I want to make a note and just remind us of a commitment that we have at the River Church in terms of all of our ministries with minors, particularly all our children here and over at the conservatory and our junior high ministries and our high school ministries. You know, when Paul says, hey, aren't you wise enough to handle these things within the context of your own community? I just, I want to remind you that if there's ever a situation that has to do with abuse, we don't say, hey, you know, we can handle that ourselves. Let's just, let's just hold it in here. No, 
No, we report it to the police. And that's our commitment, safety and not misusing what the scripture says to cover up our sin or someone's sin. So much negativity. Let's get to verse 11 because there's such beautiful, refreshing, good news in verse 11. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Justified, sanctified, those are really religious words, but I made up a new word, washified. That's what it means. In Jesus, we're washified, right? The wonderful blood of Jesus, the forgiving, reconciling blood of Jesus has washed over us and has made us clean. Paul is saying, you know what? That's, that's been part of your thinking, part of your behavior, part of your way of operating with one another in your old life, but that's, that's not you anymore. You're a new community in Jesus and he's washing you and cleansing you and forgiving you. Now, I will say, life is life and business is business. And this text is not talking about the reality that we live in a litigious society and it's likely you're going to get sued or you'll sue one and, you know, someone in some business or, you know, well, I mean, lawsuits are rampant. And Paul's not saying lawsuits are bad. Now, they're not mandatory, And Christians can choose another way, but here he's addressing when we sue each other. He says, that's what you were, but you're not anymore. So stop suing each other. A lawyer friend of mine said, hey, I can sum up the whole passage in one word. Hey, just don't take your brother or sister to Christ in court. Just don't take them to court. Don't sue them. Work it out. Get some godly people that will help you. We're going to transition to communion, but I've, I've been thinking about this whole, this whole passage, you know, because I, I, don't, I, don't feel like, I don't feel like I'm in a, um, I'm not the suing kind of person. In fact, I'm a conflict avoider, okay? I, I'll just say, I'll just be honest with you. I don't like conflict, and, you know, I need friends in my life that are much more aggressive and they go after it. You know, we kind of balance each other out. I'm a peacemaker. The problem is peacemakers have to deal with conflict. And I was thinking about this, you know, reflecting on some of my past, particularly as a pastor in a church. And of course, this doesn't apply to any of you here this morning and none of you listening online. But sometimes in church world, there's people I haven't gotten along with and I know they don't like me and, and, and I haven't liked their decisions. And so in the midst of church world and church life, I've, uh, I've come to avoid them. And I see them coming around the corner and, well, I just go the other way, you know. And I don't know does anyone else do that? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not proud of that, you know. And, and, and I, I've, been, I've been thinking about that, that I don't ever want that to be true in my life. I want to be in a community where all the open loops are closed, that all the stuff is handled because we're going to go to the communion table. I can't imagine going to the communion table and saying, oh, I I think I'll skip that table and go to that table instead. Because the blood of Jesus, as we break the bread, as we dip it in the juice, it says, hey, there's a new day. There's a new way of relating. Jasmine, why don't you guys come on up here? Um, 
it's why, it's why we call this whole series a beautiful kind of broken. Because we're, we're, not, we're not perfect in this. We don't always get it right. There's going to be disputes among us. And Paul says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. A Puritan pastor, he said this. His name was Thomas Goodwin. He says, lo, here I hang, says Christ dying. Let the reproaches wherewith you reproach each other fall on me, Jesus says. I die to pacify you both. Have then you something against each other? Quit it and take me as a sacrifice in blood between you. Only do not kill me and each other too. May we let the blood of Jesus bind us together as we go to the Lord's table. When you're ready and able, uh, feel free to go to either table. Just don't avoid another person as you go. God bless.